This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of Meaningful Sport. The idea that sport contributes to positive youth development has a prominent role in our societies, and the examination of the content and process of this development has been a flourishing research area. This idea and the associated concept of life skills is, however, not without critiques. And it has been suggested that the evidence of the effectiveness of life skill interventions is not very strong at the moment. Can we say that the research topic is in some sort of crisis? Do we need to rethink some ideas surrounding life skills? And if so, where might we go from here? I'm delighted to have Dr. Martin Kamere exploring these challenging questions with me today. Martin is an associate professor at the University of Ottawa, and his work has made a substantial contribution to our knowledge base on positive youth development and life skills in sports psychology. His recent work has also put forth an agenda of rethinking life skills. This has included examining life skills through a social justice lens, as well as applying the approach of post-qualitative inquiry to think about these things in a different light. Welcome to the podcast, Martin. It's such a pleasure to have this conversation with you today. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm very, uh, very happy to be here. And I think the other part that I didn't mention in the intro so far that my work has been one of those critical voices. And I've been very much looking forward to hearing your thoughts. And I've seen that you've looked into many these different directions that we might want to go. So I really appreciate that we can have this have this discussion in this, uh, maybe we can call it the critical juncture for life skills and where we might go. But so let's, let's crack on to it then. And I've mentioned before that one of the big advantages of the podcast has been to really get the story behind the research. Your work has been such an important uh, contribution to the idea of life skills and looking at how and what uh, that concept might be. So I'd just love to hear first a little bit of the story of why this has become the focus of your research and maybe a little bit of your an overview of your work uh, in this area over, over this last decade. Yeah, no, no, that, that's definitely a, a good good question and a good place to start. And um, I think it goes back to uh, the very start of my graduate studies, uh, where uh, at that point at the University of Ottawa, we had hired a new professor, and her name was uh, Dr. Tanya Freneris. 
and she had just completed her PhD at uh, Virginia Commonwealth University in the United States with uh, Stephen Danish, who is uh, sort of Mr. Life Skills. Uh, we've been working on life skills for uh, since the early 1980s, and so uh, when she came in as an assistant professor uh, in our department, um, we uh, we were already tackling issues of development in sport, uh, looking at them from the angle of uh, values and character development uh, and those kind of things. But uh, she really came in and brought like a, a fresh perspective uh, around this notion of life skills. And so we, our, our interests were very close and we, we worked together for many years. Uh, and this is where I feel like when I started my doctoral studies, uh, the concept of life skills became uh, much more prevalent uh, based on the work that I was able to publish from uh, my doctoral studies. Um, and then uh, I think entangled within the concept of life skills is also this idea of positive development. And so both concepts have been very important in the research that I've conducted uh, since, since I've been a professor as well. And what, what's been really refreshing in the last few years is uh, the ability to, to challenge and to, to perhaps move beyond the early conceptualizations of life skills and positive development, uh, which I think for me uh, goes back to the early 1990s uh, when uh, researchers in developmental psychology and positive psychology uh, we're proning more of this assets building approach. And so that, this is where I think the concept of life skills is, is very much uh, anchored. And so, however, given the changes uh, that are happening rapidly in our society, uh, I do feel that critiques are, are very much important. They're even necessary. And then this is, this is why uh, I feel um, my train of thought in the last few years has been to all these things are going on in society and, and, and I think research shouldn't, we shouldn't be following, we should be leading and being catalysts of change moving forward. And that's why I've taken it upon myself to, uh, to, to try to be one of those catalysts of change, to, to make sure that the research that we conduct in sports psychology uh, and in, in other fields uh, has uh, social merit and also social relevance. Mm -hmm. And what I do think even earlier than your recent work has obviously done a big push to move these things forward. But so with the life skills research and positive youth development, it has also earlier challenged this idea that all sport participation itself is going to have all these great outcomes for people, but really shown that it's not whichever, whatever type of sport participation, but the ways that coaches work and whether they intentionally focus on these life skills also has a big contribution in terms of what are the developmental outcomes for young people. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, I always use a word uh, from, uh, I was able, uh, fortunate to work with uh, Simon Darnell on, on a few papers. And I remember he uses the word that sport is... The, the actual contribution of sport is epiphenomenal to what is actually happening. And I think that relates to Coakley's like great sports myth. Sport is a social setting and it's the, the, the social settings and the, the competitive dimension and the inherent demands that people face in sport that is actually going to determine uh, if there's any kind of development that happens or not. And I'm using the word development here uh, very widely. 
Uh, and that's why uh, some of my research has, has targeted coaches to really see from that angle, well, what is the contribution of coaches in trying to enhance positive view development, uh, whether that's uh, life skills or not, but more generally, what kind of development can we assume uh, can occur in sport if we're able to equip coaches with the knowledge, the awareness, and then some, some skills that they can use on the ground to make sport uh, a better place. But sport in itself, to me, it doesn't have the inherent capacity by osmosis to be able to create all these wonderful things. Sport is just one of many social contexts in which we operate in, in our lives. And uh, we need to, as humans, try to make the most of it. Yeah. And some months ago, I just moved to Switzerland in August and just participating in a presentation about the role of sport in Swiss society. And over 90% of people think that sport has this potential contribution. So it's a very strong cultural narrative. And sometimes the people who question it are almost taken as these are the sport haters. You know, why are you here bringing this trouble around? Yeah, I know you're right. Again, I don't want... uh... I, I hope that the, the recent work that I've published is not seen as, as like you said, I'm like a, a hater of sport. I, I just feel as, as researchers, as, as thinkers, uh, you know, if, if we're going to attach PhD at the end of our signature, uh, I think we need to philosophize. We need to be able to, to brew around ideas. Uh, and then I think that's the only way we can move forward. And so I, I'm very much a lover of sport, I believe in uh, what sport can do in our lives, but it's important to remember that uh, ultimately it's it's the interactions and then the relations that we have in sport that will determine what the outcomes are. Uh, there's, there's nothing automatic that's going on here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think one, for me, one article that you contributed to this review with Meredith Whitley, where you looked at these outcomes of the life skill interventions, that was a big pause in terms of we don't actually have a lot of strong evidence to suggest that these life skill interventions work in the way that we would probably like them to work. So just to quote what you mentioned in this article is that the quality of methods and evidence is largely classified as weak and that the evidence base doesn't yet warrant any large wide-scale implementation of sport-based youth development interventions for public health goals. So, yes, this is certainly a big challenge for life skills researchers, and you you were part of the team in this paper. So maybe just talk us through a little bit this work and the conversations you held with the author team as you wrote this piece. Yeah, this was uh, this was a, a project that was led, led by uh, Meredith Whitley, and um, she, you know, we worked in close collaboration with uh, the Loris Sports for Good Foundation, which were uh, the ones funding this project. And uh, it, it it was it was a really big project. We had a big team, so uh, William Massey was involved. Uh, a lot of other like, excellent researchers, uh, you know, like Simon Darnell. Uh, Megan Chawanski, uh, a bunch of others. And so it was, a, it was a great team and I was, I was honored to be part of the team. Uh, we ended up publishing a few systematic reviews. And as you alluded to, uh, the, uh, I guess the, the claims that we were able to make at the end were not that quite substantive towards 
the, the difference in terms of developmental outcomes that sport can achieve. And there's a number of factors at play here. Uh, and I think it's, it's important to understand that the issue is very multifaceted. What we did and, and, and looking back on what we did, we, we definitely had much more of a, an approach of logical empiricism. And so we were going in, evaluating the status of quality of these studies based very much on a positivistic approach as to what is study quality and what is not. So that's important to understand as well. Maybe there is a whole bunch of very interesting stuff that's happening on the ground in sport for development, but based on the evidence that we were able to capture from the papers that were written on those programs, the evidence is quite weak. And uh, from just from the, the methods that are used, the types of analyses that were conducted in terms of intervention fidelity and the different fidelity checks that were conducted, uh, as we went through and uh, Meredith and Will and myself were the, the lead uh, researchers responsible for going through uh, all the, the different ev evaluation scales that we had to determine if the study was deemed of quality or not. And so it was uh, an immense, an immense undertaking, but um, well, I think what's important to conclude from those papers is that what's going on on the ground as, as we think of sport for development, uh, whether it's in the global north or global south, is there is still much work to be done. And the work is not only for me what's going on on the ground and what people are doing on the ground, but it's also uh, as, as researchers, as, as people that are practitioners within sport for development, we have, I think, in the years to come, a, a lot of introspection to do to, to determine like, is the approach that we're undertaking, like this, as you mentioned in, in, in many of your papers as well, this neoliberal approach where we have these white colonizers coming in and saying, like, here's how we're going to do things and it's going to work well, and it doesn't. And so, and just uh, from the, the funding schemes that, and how the funding works and how that influences uh, the evaluations that are conducted for these programs. Uh, I don't know if we need to go back ultimately to the drawing board and start things over, but I think there's a lot of, as a field and as different people that have our stakeholders in this field, uh, there's a lot more questions that need to be answered. And, I don't have all the answers. I don't think anyone does, but the questioning needs to be continued for sure. And you mentioned this uh, power differentials and one of the critiques is that life skills is quite a neoliberal ideology. So young people need to be, need to have these skills and competencies to succeed in life. And perhaps just to mention that my own starting point to come from the Nordic countries, the education system is is very much based on this. Uh, well, the German word is Bildung, and and there is this kind of hostility for you know standardization and measurement of things. And in Norway, Norway, for example, where I worked as a, a part of my project, where we critique the life skills, there is now a big public debate in terms of they have a concept which is called life mastery that is now being implemented at schools. And it sounds a lot uh, like life skills. So young people need more competencies to skills and competencies to deal with the challenges of life. And so the critiques of this perspective are then that 
this approach might be then benefiting the ones that are already kind of well off and kind of making it bigger, the gap between those who are better off and the ones who are more disadvantaged in the educational system. And the other perspective is obviously this, is there something wrong wrong with our educational system in a broader level if we have so many young people who are struggling to keep up? Yeah, I, and I, I do agree that your, your concerns are, are very much uh, legitimate. And, and this is why I feel we need to, uh, to have these discussions and to continue uh, to push our thinking on, on what life skills are and perhaps what they can be and how do they matter, uh, especially if, if we're seeing a national level reforms happening in certain countries around a language that can be seen as as, as, as around life skills and perhaps normative and, and, and normative in the sense of the word that that can have very much a lot of sociocultural implications as to, you know, how are we educating our youth? Uh, how are we educating our next generation? And so that's why I have to be honest, uh, when your paper came out with uh, your colleagues, and I'm, I know I know Kenneth as well, I've, I've interacted with Kenneth, and yeah. this, was, uh, this was definitely a catalyst. And I read the paper, and I sat down, and I had to gasp. I had to take a glass of water. And like, at, at the same time, I was like, okay, I'm being challenged now, but I'm being challenged in a way that I find very compelling. And I, I was thinking to myself, this is what I need. And, and, and that's why from there, um, we discussed the paper as a lab. We spent a lot of time trying to dissect the papers, the different arguments that were put forth. And that's why for me, I took it on as, as a challenge for myself is I need to contribute now to be more, and I, I use the word critical loosely here, but we need to evolve this concept of life skills. And so this is what I've done in a, in a few recent papers that have been published in 2021. But very much this idea, uh, I think, that has dominated the concept of life skills over the last 30 years is very normative in the sense that we're trying to educate youth to fit within a pre-established society that is competitive, that is challenging, and that is wrought with marginalization, oppression, etc. And so this approach, I feel, has merit, again, from a normative perspective, is for people that think, well, we can't change society. So let's just, whether you're marginalized or not, let's just do our best to give you these skills of resilience, of responsibility, to make you adapt as much as we can to this world. And you need to fit into this world. Uh, however, I feel life skills, where we need to be going and where we need to be thinking is from much more of a transformative lens. And instead of just fixing the kids, uh, can we pay more attention to fixing the world around us that we live in? And how can we use education? How can we use sport? Uh, and how can we transform the way we train our coaches, the way we train our teachers, so that we can have these conversations? And, and, and within the things that we do uh, in sport that are targeted to the technical, the tactical, and the physical aspects of sport, which are not going to go away, coaches need to be discussing those things. However, can we have conversations around diversity? Can we have conversations around inclusion in sport? And can coaches use the power that they have to enable those discussions and, and try to make change happen on the ground? And so for me, this, this transformative approach to sport, which again, is wrought with challenges. Like how do we train coaches to do that? How do we 
ensure we have coaches that feel confident to to do this so those are those are questions that we'll need to think about over the next like 5 10 15 years but we need to detach ourselves moving forward from from this very normative capitalistic neoliberal approach to life skills if we want uh to better the worlds that we live in mm. and you kindly mentioned the work we did with Kenneth and our colleagues, but obviously we are not the first ones who raised some concerns. So there is a tradition of other scholars, Coakley's work, for example, challenging this idea that sport is the source of all good. And then other scholars who focus on these social justice issues in terms of are we in the, in the context of girls and women's sport? that are we trying to build them stronger and more confident or are we should we also help them to become more aware of the structural inequalities when it comes to girls and women's access to participation and access to these meaningful experiences of of sport and exercise so those are some of the concerns that have been raised by many other scholars and you've really spent time working through the concept of life skills through the social justice lens in in your recent work with your colleagues. So it would be nice to get an overview of, of this recent work that you've done and, and the key arguments that you're pushing forth. Yeah, and so uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, I think it's important to highlight uh, that, that Coakley has been, uh, you know, sounding the alarm for decades uh, around are, and so definitely, yeah, this is not a new concept. Uh, and I've been reading Coakley for, for as long as I can remember. And, and Coulter and all these different people that have done seminal work in this area to, to make sure that we, we keep critical about uh, how do we define sport and how do we use it in our society. And so I feel that for me, uh, you know, sort of a turning point is, um, you know, how can we how can we use the concept of life skills, which I've, I've focused on a lot, and this idea of positive development, to, to try to bring it forward uh, to to somewhere where we can have more of a meaningful difference for all use. And I think the way that life skills may have been conceived before may have been only serving some use uh, that are in more privileged positions. And so certain life skills uh, may not be amenable for uh, some uh, children, some youth that are, are facing issues that others are not. And so that idea, again, whether it's through uh, gender-based uh, discrimination or, or ableism, racism, I think those are all uh, different concepts we need to bring to the forefront when we're having discussions with our, our youth, with our athletes. And this is why I was able to partner with uh, Corliss Bean, uh, who's also a Canadian researcher, uh, Leisha Strawn, who's also conducted a lot of research around life skills and positive development, and uh, Tarkington Newman, who's uh, an American researcher. And, uh, we, we decided to join our forces and we applied for, for a grant, so in Canada, from the, the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council. And so we were able to secure funding for a three-year project uh, looking in Canada uh, nationally uh, within the ranks of high school sport uh, what is the state of this concept of social justice? And what do coaches, the people that are on the ground coaching in our schools, what do they think about all these issues that are, we're faced within our society? And so 
we're collecting data right now. We've got uh, we've got a qualitative arm to the project where we're going to be interviewing coaches from across Canada, and we're trying to get as as diversified a sample as as we can. We've also just finished data collection for a Canada-wide survey, uh, trying to get the impressions of, of coaches around all these ideas of disability, racism, uh, gender-based issues. And so we're, we'll be analyzing the data uh, in early 2022. But the paper that you're referring to is we wanted, we wanted something conceptual to anchor the grant and anchor the studies, that, the empirical studies that will be coming out in the next few years. So we joined our forces, we joined our heads, and uh, this is why we, we wrote the paper on this necessity of at least planting the seed of how can we reimagine positive youth development and life skills in sport. And I, I feel the paper raises a, a few questions and hopefully it gets people thinking. And so people that are interested in uh, PYD research and life skills research to think about those ideas. And the, the concept we introduce at the end, which uh, is, is underdeveloped, it needs to continue to be developed, but is this idea of social justice life skills. And it, it's still embryonic in its development. It needs to be refined. It needs to be taught through a bit better. Uh, but those are next steps that we have in mind as well. But we need to change this idea that we can teach skills like resilience, uh, teamwork, uh, leadership in the same way that we have in the past. And there are opportunities to teach leadership in a way that is inclusive of, of all uh, children, of all the youth that we coach. And so that's the seed that we're trying to plant in the paper. And we hope that people within the field will take that and continue to work with us to expand the concept. And hopefully it leads to something uh, that is, is more inclusive. And it needs to be joined and it needs to be undertaken with this idea that you raise that I feel is really important, but life skills should not be the be all and end all of everything we learn in sport. It's one of many components and that, that I want to be clear about. And so your idea of existential learning is absolutely important. And there's so many other things that we can take from sport that needs to be part of the formula when we train our coaches for them to be aware, it's like, yes, you can teach life skills, but you can also teach all these other wonderful things uh, and make aware, make athletes aware of all the life lessons they can derive from sport. And so if, if, so if we join our forces, our, our forces, different researchers, and we're able to educate our coaches to be aware of all these wonderful possibilities uh, of how life, our life can be bettered and changed because of our participation in sport, and how we move our bodies through physical activity, then I think this is the way forward. Yes, I think one of the key questions I had in mind when reading your work is that we kind of have two possibilities. We can try to broaden up the life skill concept and kind of expand it to all these areas, or then we can have it as one type of learning alongside these other, other forms of learning, including perhaps existential learning and and other forms of learning that wait to be conceptualized and theorized further. So it sounds to me that you would have life skills as one element in this learning and development agenda that we might have in, in youth sport. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, the, uh, 
the dilemma that you raise is an important one is do we keep expanding the concept of life skills so that it includes everything? And I don't think that's the right road to go in. Uh, life skills by the inherent nature of, of, of the word life and skill to me is delimited to a certain extent. Can it be expanded for sure? Can it take on new meanings? Absolutely. But I, I'm still a proponent of the idea that there's much more to life skills that we can learn from sport. And that's why I think your work has been critical uh, in examining those, those, those other forms of learning that can occur. And that's why I, I want to be compelled by other researchers in the field to, to think creatively and then to come up with other ideas. Uh, and, and that's why, I mean, uh, I, I've really enjoyed the work of Michael Atkinson with this idea of uh, post-sport uh, structures. And, and so all of these ideas, if we are able to combine and take them together, I think it, it creates an emancipation of what sport can be. It doesn't need to be just this technocratic modernist thing that we do and that we attach devices to our arms and to, it becomes very technological. It can be much more human, much more existential. And I feel that's important for us as researchers to communicate, to disseminate this message to, uh, to everyone. Yeah, I was reading Michael Atkinson's work as a master student and then in my early PhD phase. And yeah, I keep coming back to that, uh, the work on fell running and suffering and all these things that we don't necessarily think about as a positive element of our sport and exercise activities, but they have a different value for us in terms of maybe thinking more deeply about how we live and and this sporting practice and the place of the small human being in the world, especially now that the ecological crisis is a big thing that we also have to have to think about. My own concern with the existential learning concept, and people ask me, hey, Nora, you have this paper, what can I do with it? You know, I'd like to take this to my coaches, what can I do? And it's not quite that easy and with research you need to be showing that with you with this concept you can have some positive outcomes and if it saves some money somewhere and makes people healthier that's probably much better than something that seems vaguely about living a more meaningful life that you can't actually measure so when people ask me what can i do with this you know how do i apply this to get somewhere it's it's always more challenging to argue for this yeah it, it, so that's that's been a dilemma that i've dealt with my entire career and I, I still don't have an answer for it and uh i think it's uh it's a double-edged sword in if you take life skills and you delimit them to and you operationalize them to something that you can measure uh inherently you're taking away so much potential as to what these skills can be uh and then they become just unidimensional uh, it allows you for sure from a measurement perspective from the idea of evaluation to get a sense of what's going on. But I think in, in, in the true essence of what's happening on the ground in the world, you're only getting a snapshot of what's happening when you do this kind of measurement. And, and, and to your, to your point, uh, what I often end up doing when I have these kind of conversations is why is there always a rush to application? And why do we, like every concept that we have, why do they need to be applied? And, and it, it's very much, again, a neoliberal 
uh, fascination that we have that we need to have some form of economic productivity from everything that we do. But my rebuttal is always like, why can't we just leave a concept at the conceptual level and let everyone in their own heads determine existentially what sport is for them? And it doesn't need to have any, any kind of application. So this is a very tough message for coaches to swallow. They may not want to hear what I'm saying. I absolutely understand that. But coaches that are reflexive, coaches that are introspective and, and, and have a, a high motivation for learning, I feel are more attentive to this kind of message. And, and it's important for them to realize that as coaches, they can't control everything that their athletes go through and every lesson and every type of learning that their athletes can have. And so there are just some things that are more organic that coaches are not going to be able to control that may not have a practical application that athletes may only realize five, 10 years down the line that it's something that has had an impact in their lives, whether positive or negative. Uh, but yeah, so just to summarize, I always rebuttal is why do we need to have application for everything? And that's, <laughs> that usually goes, that usually takes the direction in a very polarizing way. Some people are like, whoa, like, okay, that's a concept I've never thought about. That's cool. Or others say, no, no, look, that doesn't work. You're not making any sense. So, but I think it's a very fair point that you raise. I think that will be the concern with your most recent work with post-qualitative uh, inquiry. But we will leave this to our second part of the conversation. I think we've covered a lot. It will be nice to have now a tiny break and then move on to the second part. So thanks so much for the conversation so far. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.